the Modern Lady Podcast. And if you can't, oh, sorry. No, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I've been still like weird, feel like I have like fluid in my lungs ever since I've been sick, but I'm not sick. I just have to clear my throat a lot. Yeah. 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 No, no okay. problem. Clear away. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so fired up. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 149. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are sharing three radical things you can do to transform your 2024. In every generation, there's a desire to be somewhat of a radical, to buck the current culture and trends, and to leave our own unique mark on the world. But what if there were radical things that we could do starting today that had the potential to change our own hearts, strengthen our homes and relationships, and that would leave a legacy in light of the eternal? Now that's radical on a whole new level. But first, the best way that you can support The Modern Lady is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts and by sharing us with your friends. We also welcome you to join us over at Patreon, where for just $5 a month, you will get exclusive and extra content. We want to remind our listeners that we have now activated a free trial option on Patreon. So while you can just follow the page for free, if you actually sign up for a free trial, you will have access to all of our extra content for seven days, and then you can decide if you'd like to join us as a paid member. We want to welcome our latest Patreon supporters who are friends of the Modern Lady Podcast. Connor, Monica, Crystal, Kelly, Elizabeth, and Christina. We had some others start following the podcast for free, but just remember that that doesn't give you access to anything. You need to sign up for the free trial. Find us at patreon.com forward slash the Modern Lady Podcast. And if you can't join us on Patreon at this time, a free way to support our show is by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a chance to tell us what you love about the show, and it helps others discover it too. This week's shout-out goes to the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference and their fearless leader and our friend, Dorothy Polarski. We are so excited to announce, if you haven't heard already, that we will be attending the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference on March 23rd, 2024 in Toronto, Ontario. We are thrilled to be a sponsor and a vendor there at this wonderful event, and we'd love to see you there. Thank you for inviting us, Dorothy. You can find more information at dynamicwomenoffaith.com, and we will include a link in the show notes. If you would like to leave us a comment or message us about today's episode, the best way to get in touch with us is on Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. But be sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode for other ways to connect because we would love to hear from you. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. I was Googling etiquette tips and found an interesting article from thecut.com about etiquette after COVID. And while I skimmed over most of it because it seems most applicable for millennial Manhattanites, one tip did jump out at me. And that is when you are having a conversation with someone, pause and ask yourself, when was the last time I asked this person a question about themselves? It points out that conversation doesn't have to be a tennis match hitting questions back and forth like a tennis ball, but we do need to be very aware of how long we are holding the floor for. 
This is something I try to be hyper aware of because clearly I can talk a lot. This is why I co-host a podcast and this is why I'm thankful for Michelle's editing skills and this is why I can actually reflect back over the years we've had this podcast and how it's taught me better communication skills because we talk semi-professionally now and I've learned a lot about picking up on communication cues like when Michelle is ready to interject or when I need to zip it. Upon digging further, I have been reminded that there are certain psychological conditions that can cause someone to talk excessively without considering the other person. Conditions like bipolar disorder, ADHD, and anxiety disorders may impact a person's ability to pick up on social cues. Here are some things that likely most of us could work on. Try listening more than you speak. Practice noticing the little details about what the person is saying. Pay attention to their voice. Be totally dialed in instead of figuring out what you are going to say next. Take your time and practice silence. Set a mental timer, pay attention to the other person, and see if what you are saying grabs their attention in the first seconds. That's usually all it takes. And if it doesn't, try to wrap up your thoughts in one minute, tops, and then move on to another topic. And finally, it's hard to hide body language when someone isn't engaged. Pay attention to the other person. Are they fidgeting? Are they discreetly trying to check their phone or watch? Are they looking around instead of at you? Wrap it up and then ask them a question. What if you aren't the chatty type, but you know you are about to get caught up in a conversation with someone who goes on and on? Put a time limit on it. Let them know that you only have 15 minutes to chat. You can also excuse yourself and head to the washroom in order to stop the flow of chatter. If there is someone that really chats your ear off and you need to spend time with them, consider planning a busy activity with them instead of going out to dinner or for coffee. You'll both be kept busy, but you'll still be able to spend time together. Ah, yes. A return to etiquette (laughs) practices. Uh, This is like going back to our roots because like we know so much about like, no, the flour and the sugar, right? Yep. I was just thinking, right. I was looking at my previous notes. I'm like, okay, I went a little deep into baking tips and (laughs) maybe we'll go back to our roots. Yep. Oh my gosh, it reminds me of the Emily Post days mm-hmm. when we talked about her. But this one is such a great tip um, because I really think that it's it's a practice because when you're listing all those things off, immediately my mind is like, oh my goodness, there are so many things to think about while I'm trying to listen and think about what the other person's saying right? Yep. <laughs> and pick up on cues. But even if you just picked like one of those things, yes, I I feel like it would help so, so much to help the flow of the conversation. And that's something too, like I've been learning as well through the podcast, how yes. to you know be a good listener and how to like volley, I'll say, yes. Yes. <laughs> like we do rally with words back yes. and forth. Um, yeah. To be able to like mirror back like a few words of what the other person said helps transition conversation really well. So all of those things that you said, I think just can be wrapped up with considering ever more the person that you're supposed to be engaging with and even using that as an act of friendship and charity that you're an active listener. Yes. And when you and I do it without even seeing each other. So we've had to like 
psychically pick up on each other's physical cues. (laughs) Because we made the executive decision not to look at each other. Which, as I sit here in my nightgown (laughs) and my frizzy hair, I'm ever so thankful. (laughs) Yes, yes. But but that's good. And, And that's also, too, the more you get to know somebody, the easier it will get to pick up on those kinds of cues. And it all just goes back to that art of conversation. So when we decided last minute to change the topic of this episode, this is our first episode back after Christmas, we actually joked about how we needed to continue our Be Better New Year's tradition. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, a few years ago, we started making New Year's episodes with Be Better as a theme, because that year we didn't feel like we needed to overhaul our lives, but rather just be better (laughs) at what we were already doing. And then each subsequent year, we kept adding an ER to the end. So it was Be Better, Be Betterer, Be Betterer. You get the picture. And we think we are hilarious with (laughs) Be Betterer. So this episode actually continues with this theme um, at attempting ultimately to be better at everything we do this upcoming year. And we do have three great suggestions for how to do this, but we aren't going to title it Be Better. I think we're at that point. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to count in my head. It might be like the fifth installment. It might be the fifth er that we're on. Oh, year five ER. We started our own like (laughs) acronym for years. Yep. Yep. Oh my goodness. But yeah, I love starting the new year off in that tone though, right? Yes. Because, you know, we talk so much about loving the fresh start and um, we have, we kind of have two major ones, right? That we really love the September one. Yeah. And then like real New Year's, like the yes. real New Year starting. And yeah, being the first episode back, we were like, is February too late to talk about this? Mm-hmm. We think not. Mm-hmm. And especially, I actually think as we get into this episode, we'll see that midwinter was actually the best time for this. Yeah. Um, yeah. This episode. And um, maybe once all of our New Year's resolutions have kind of fallen into their settled place of priority in our lives like once the fervor of new year has kind of tied died down a little bit that these are new things that will either complement really well some of our new year's resolutions from january or if you need something else to redirect and refocus yourself on these are um things that you could start like today with with minimal upheaval (laughs) absolutely yes so i'm i'm really excited about talking about these three things Yes. So this isn't about treadmills, right? Or trying to get steps Mm -hmm. in or cutting back on bad foods. (laughs) This isn't about that. And when we're being a little cheeky in using the word radical, I think it's a a really kind of funny (laughs) word to use in this um, because none of these things are actually radical, but it's just funny to use that word. Um, (laughs) But we do believe these things are life-changing. And we do believe, like you were saying, Michelle, that you can start them today right? That Mm -hmm. we can start to work on these things. And once again, it's things that you and I need to work on and we're just sharing it transparently with all of you. Yes, yes, exactly. Because I guess when you think about um, our current culture and everything, as we go through each of these things, um, they are not what the world might recommend. Yes. Yeah. You know, in order to make your 2024 great. And so in that sense, it is like, cheekily radical. Yes. <laughs> as as we say. And so yeah, I'm I'm excited. Easy radical things that are going to be for the good. I'm yes. in. So yes. yeah. Why don't we just start with the first thing? 
Okay, so the first thing that we suggest you do this year, and again, this is for us as well, is ask God to do great things in your life. And then I mm. thought, what in the prosperity gospel is this? Well, <laughs> that, that is a great, a great thought, a great statement. Well, let me tell you, um, it's mm-hmm. actually from St. Teresa of Avila, right? She yes. lived from 1515 until 1582 and is a canonized saint. She is one of only four women who have been named a doctor of the church. She was a Carmelite nun and her writings on the soul's journey to God are considered masterpieces. Now, what is a Catholic doctor of the church? Well, Wikipedia, our favorite, I guess, Catholic source, <laughs> Catholic just kidding, source. Yeah. <laughs> says that it is a title given by the Catholic church to saints recognized as having made a significant contribution to theology or doctrine through their research, study, or writing. So St. Teresa's most well-known works are The Way of Perfection and Interior Castle. And then, Michelle, I will confess, and I've said this before, but St. Teresa of Alvala is the most persistent saint uh, that who stalked me. Mm-hmm. You know, the saint stalkers. Um, yep. We've talked about this before, but just for people who are unfamiliar, we have both experienced great saints, like, basically stalking us, being like, read my work. Yeah. You need it. Trust me. You need, <laughs> you need to hear what I say about this. And St. Teresa has been stalking me for about 10 years now, and I have mm. yet to read those books, but oh, I know that I will goodness. kick myself, right, when I finally read her yes yes um yeah the saint stalking they just pop up in random places where you wouldn't think you're like oh my gosh like you all of a sudden every school you passed is named saint (laughs) Teresa of avila school (laughs) and the meeting you're supposed to go to for a board you sit on is at saint Teresa of avila conference center like yeah they're pretty persistent when they need to be so i think it's time that you read her works she is great. She stalked me for a while when I was a young adult mm. and I read her autobiography mm. and and I love this idea from her. And the the full quote is um you pay God a great compliment when you ask him for great things. Mm-hmm. And I love that you joked about the prosperity gospel. Yes, <laughs> yes. I love the reciprocal nature of her quote. Like it's a it's yeah. a relational thing that we go to God and not just go to God for small limiting things, but go to him with abandon. I I really love that. And I will say though, like, I I do think it is in this case, asking for things for ourselves, I'll, I'll go into that a bit more, but it's in a, it's mm-hmm. always in a way that glorifies God, right? Versus yes. just getting money and, oh, I need a private jet and all that kind of stuff. Um, because I was really reflecting on this and I'm actually terrible at doing this. Um, I came into the church later in my life, as you know, I was 30 and I, a lot of my initial relationship uh, from my side with God was just about ma- wanting to make reparation for my sins, like truly wanting to just seek forgiveness. And, and I wasn't about being ready to receive his love or to receive Mm. blessings. Even I didn't know how to do that. I just felt so bad about my past life. And so I got better as I grew about asking for good things for the people in my life, right? I'll pray for things for you. Mm. I'll pray for things for Jason. I'll pray for things for my kids, but I couldn't quite wrap my head around asking for good things for myself. I didn't know what that looked like. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and it's, it's actually crazy to not consider this because you look through the entire Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament about people asking God for miraculous things. They ask for great things, right? They mm-hmm. grab at Jesus and they ask for miracles and they ask for healing and they ask for their family member to be brought back from the dead. Like 
what's holding me back? I had to question this within myself. There are, I think for some people, maybe it's a fear of God saying no. Um, Mm. That's not it for me. Um, I'm so willing to accept his will, but I think that in learning over the years, how to surrender myself to his will has become a type of spiritual laziness for me because then I don't Mm. ask for anything. Um, I just think, well, whatever happens, I accept it. But God's like, no, I need you to participate more on your side. Interesting. Yes. I. It's so funny you say that because that was one of the things that I was thinking of too. Like what holds me up yeah. in asking God for big things? Yeah. And for me, I was starting to link this quote of St. Teresa of Avila and my like hesitancy to do it in somewhat of a lack of trust. Mm. Right. And not in like an unbelieving way. Yep. Uh, but like a, like a fearful kind of way, like what you're saying, like, I know God um, can do things like he, there's a great clip from a Catholic speaker, Chris Stefanik, where he talks about this quote and he's like, our God is a God of splitting seas and raising people yes. from the dead. Like yes. he's not a God of just getting by. <laughs> Right, the little things. But I think for me, it was like this wondering of, but why would he do that for me, though? Mm, Like, not for me. I'm not worth that. Like, I don't have that kind of need or I don't deserve that kind of grandness. Just why would he bother to do those great things for me? But then it was like going back to what St. Teresa of Avila says, like this, that second part of the quote with the compliment aspect Mm -hmm. of it. That when we ask him for great things, um, it's not like affirming him because God doesn't need us to do that. It's like, I believe you can do this, Lord. So I'm going to ask for it. He's like, well, thank you. I already know I can do this. But (laughs) thank you for your vote of confidence. Um, But maybe the compliment that we pay God is recognizing that we are worth the question. Yeah. We are worth asking and not uh, like downplaying ourselves. Um, if that makes sense. I was just thinking, you know, what just popped in my head is this is Mary's Magnificat, right? Like it's her glorifying mm. the Lord. When, when, when we're doing this, when we're realizing that when we're asking of him these things, it is us shining back on him, his own glory. Like we're recognizing it. We're seeing God for who he is, right? Yes. It's an exercise of faith. Yeah. It's like an admission of our knowledge of who God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, and then to want to, like you said, want to participate in it is yes. a great compliment to God as any parent enjoys their kids coming up alongside them That's and participating right. in what they're doing. Um, and to recognize, I think the power and grace of God, what truth beauty and goodness could be brought to the world if I was totally open to that, totally in the state of cooperation with him and collaborating um, on a small level yes. with him. How exciting, how amazing life would be and what a what a compliment to God, our creator, to see his creation realizing how incredible all of this truly is. I think that may be part of the crux of this quote of asking God for great things and how it's such a compliment to him. 
So then I was like, okay, so what good things could I ask for for myself, right? This is not something mm-hmm. I'm in the habit of doing. This is something I'm really reflecting on myself now for 2024. And I thought, well, it's anything that helps me be the best I can be in my vocation, right? As wife and mother. This is what yeah. God wants when we ask him for great things. Again, not a private jet. <laughs> this is right. not the prosperity gospel. <laughs> I'm asking, I'm thinking, okay, what is good for me? So this means physical health. This means financial security, not necessarily mm-hmm. wealth, right? Being able to mm-hmm. feed the children. This means a life with an adequate amount of beauty and comfort, the amount that God thinks I need to see him reflected in this world. This means a good and healthy relationship with those around me and support from people. This means a loving and fulfilling marriage. And this means being given the opportunities to use the gifts and the talents that God gave me, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and having healthy and happy children. And I think These are the things I can ask for for myself that I've never asked for in a concrete way, right? I'm always like, keep my kids healthy and safe this week, but I've never thought about it, about how it can transform me when I ask for these good things in my life to see God better and that he wants to make these things better in my life, but he's waiting. He is waiting for me to ask. That's true. That's true. The questions you're saying are actually, um, they go with the examples that Chris Stefanik mentions Mm. in his video clip too. He's like, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, so I might be getting some of them Mm. wrong, but the gist of it was like, don't just pray for getting by. So like, instead of praying like, oh, you know, God help me. And they're good prayers. They're good prayers. It's like, instead of saying like, oh God, fix my marriage. Um, yeah. Pray, God, help me to sweep my wife off of her feet again. Mm. Or like instead of just praying like, oh, Lord, protect me from um, prejudice in this board meeting. Yeah. Pray, God, make me a beacon, a fire for your truth. Mm. Uh, you know, like it's just this like bursting. I yeah. When I heard those examples and listening to you and what you're praying for too, they're prayers that almost burst with with that faith and with that love and with that fire of the spirit and what maybe too when we ask for those big things we ignite within ourselves the faith we need to to be good collaborators yeah um in our life with god and participants I love that. And you're really helping me understand like this, this, it's almost a subtle shift in the language and, and it yeah. makes such a huge difference, right? That, that marriage one really stood out to me instead of just saying, Hey Lord, like, hey, not Hey Lord. Hey Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. Um, yeah. <laughs> As the kids call us. Um, okay. So it's like, instead of saying, Lord, you know, yeah, my, I'm really struggling in my marriage. Just help us get through another week. And so, yeah. Instead of saying, Lord, make me be like the most beautiful wife to my husband this week. Like, let me just shine so that he falls deeply in love with me. That's a very different prayer. And so different, right? So if we change, if we just shift all of the ways that we were praying before to direct asking for it to be a greater thing, I think Mm -hmm. that's a radical thing for 2024. And you were already mentioning this, like as parents, again, the way that we, the way that I have understood theology is through my own motherhood and through watching Jason be a father. And we've said this so many times, but I just can't imagine Jason not wanting to grant his kids the greatest things when they come to him, right? With pure hearts being like, dad, can you help me with this? Like, I would Mm -hmm. love this. Like, 
big or small, right? His fatherly power is fully realized when he can grant the wishes of his children. And that, if that is so on a limited human level, how much greater is it when we ask God to grant us the greatest right. things? And if they are for our good and everything is ordered towards our good and God wants us to have a life of abundance, he wants us mm-hmm. to strive for perfection, right? Perfection is greatness. Um, he is, he will grant those things if they are ordered for our good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think I just keep going back to that word compliment, mm-hmm. that if God's whole creation was bold like that in, in, in what we're asking for and in all these ways to be as perfect as we can be um, within his will, the whole world would be such a such an amazing offering to give yeah. back to God, right? Yeah. What a compliment we give him. And for us too, in our personal lives, it makes us um, robust. Like it helps life have so much um, zest and mm-hmm. purpose. You know, you know, those people who are filled with faith, but you would describe them as being like, oh, they're a force. Mm, yeah. Right. And you're just like, what is that? What is that force? I think they might be people who ask God for great things. So the second radical thing that we think we should all do in 2024 is lighten up. Um, This one is funny because we also planned on coming back to the podcast after Christmas with an episode that we had called Let's Live, Love, Laugh Our Way into 2024 because we thought that the whole wall quote of Love, Love, Laugh is due for a comeback um, around as a trend again because it's been so maligned all of these years and we're like, let's bring it back. So yeah, um, yeah, we really had this intention of like talk and we've done an episode on humor but this was just something that we're really seeing that we need to really spark again in our own lives and that we just see that can have such a positive impact on people so michelle i forget the circumstances but you recommended that i look into saint philip neri and i went to my usual source of census fidelium on youtube and i found Mm -hmm. a great homily on him so saint philip neri was born the same year as saint Teresa of avila did you know that (gasps) No. Like what? what? I actually have Hold that. Up. Yeah, record what? scratch. What? <laughs> what a quinky dink! It's crazy. He was born in 1515, and he lived huh. until 1595. He is the patron saint of Rome, of the U.S. Special Forces, and hmm. humor. I just, I cannot believe that we are part of a church that has a patron saint of humor. That made me so happy. Yes. And now St. Philip was a cheerful little boy. And this made me laugh too, because I thought about your Phil and his nickname was good little Phil. That's what they called him. Good little Phil. (laughs) I can't even handle this. That's going to stick. That's going to stick. Yeah. (laughs) And as he grew, he developed a special talent for bringing out the best in people. And this is in Mm. such contrast to the very life he lived behind the scenes. You know, he spent a lot of his time alone, uh, solitary and in prayer. He ate a very bland diet of bread and water and vegetables. And he gave up a couple offers of business and wealth as he was, you know, moving in towards the priesthood. His favorite two books were the Bible. And a joke mm-hmm. book. So oh. thank you, Michelle, for introducing. I forget what it was. Yeah. You can remind me of why you were like, you know who you need? Some faint St. Philip Neary. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I don't remember the exact circumstances, mm. but I had not really heard of St. Philip Neary until maybe two summers ago. Mm. And he just kind of 
blasted onto the scene for me too, kind of like the Kool-Aid guy busting through the wall. Um, And I instantly as well, I instantly fell in love with him and this saint of cheerfulness, this saint of good humor, I really resonated with because I'm like, yes, that's what, that's what we need right now in the world. Um, to lighten up and here is a patron saint for our cause (laughs) so he has um a couple of great quotes but there isn't a whole lot written about him which Mm -hmm. is something i'm really sad about like um i I wish there were more books or more documentaries or podcasts to learn more about him Um, but he does have some quotes that we attribute to him and one of the good ones for our topic today would be quote Cheerfulness strengthens the heart and helps us to persevere. A servant of God ought to always be in good spirits. Charity and cheerfulness or charity and humility should be our motto, Mm. end quote. And then the other thought, though, that was really striking to me was that he also once said that excessive sadness seldom springs from any other source than pride. Mm, Yep. Yep. End quote. And so with Lighten Up... Then it started getting me think again. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's the key to that is humility. And St. Philip Neri would have had such a handle on humility because of all those secret hours or private hours that he spent in prayer, talking to God, knowing, remember our three-part episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) on humility? (laughs) Not easily forgettable, but um, just knowing who God is and knowing who we truly are yeah. um, in light of that. That's what humility is. And I'm just ruminating on that, that if you spend a lot of time asking for humility, trying to grow in humility, and it truly is like a lifelong endeavor because pride is so deeply rooted in so many of our souls. But if we have a real desire to strive for that, it's almost like an unburdening of our own ego. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, and when you don't have a, as much of an ego, you're first of all, you're lighter, like yep. metaphorically, you're lighter. Yep. And also, too, you can joke. Like you're not so high up on a pedestal that you're afraid of falling off of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, self deprecation um, is often one of the most relatable forms of humor. Um, but you can't be self deprecating uh, if you think so highly of yourself. Yeah. It's yep. a roadblock to humor. It's a roadblock to cheerfulness and being a lighthearted person is this pride. And that is something St. Philip Neri really models for us. The thing I loved about the homily on census fidelium about him is the priest said, um, the devil can't take a joke. And I'm like, that oh. stopped me in my tracks, right? The last thing the devil wants you to do is laugh at something that's happening in your life to, to find mm. a lightness of being, right? In the midst of our everyday suffering and things that we're going through. And I thought the devil can't take a joke. That is going to stay with me for a long time. Wow. And then one of the other things I loved about St. Philip Neri is that he wasn't just all about cheerfulness all the time. What drew mm-hmm. so many people to him, like, and crowds would follow him, right? They'd form around him, was his ability to meet people where they were at emotionally. So he would mm. be happy and cheerful with people who were in that mood and who were celebrating. And then he could turn a sympathetic ear and like 
tear up with people who were sad. He just knew how to connect with people and be at where they needed him to be at emotionally. And he was 100% genuine in those interactions. Mm. And that authentic love made him a great evangelizer of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. To be attuned to other people. Yeah. Right. And this actually, it's interesting. This ties into something I remember um, about Venerable Fulton Sheen. Mm-hmm. Maybe you remember he he loved to have comedians yes. over for dinner, right? And yep. he said it one of the reasons was because they saw the world the way no one else did. Like yep. they had a special insight. And I feel like that's that kind of goes with what you're saying about St. Philip Neri, where he had this special insight to see things how they really were. The yeah. humility. <laughs> yeah. He could see how things really were. And that gave way to be able to not only um, be in good spirits, but also, like you were saying, to be able to connect with people wherever they were, um, as you were saying. And, and that really springs from that insight, that humility, that prayer life that he had um, interiorly. Yes, it's actually funny because I have a whole section on Fulton Sheen here because he is somebody I deeply Mm -hmm. admire and his sense of humor is a big part of that. So he is considered a servant of God in the church and we're talking about Archbishop Fulton Sheen and he absolutely loved humor. You only have to watch him speak, right? And there are countless hours on YouTube and you hear him opening almost every episode of his show, Life is Worth Living, with a joke. Most of the jokes stand up today. Some of them are little knee slapper eye rollers from the 1950s, (laughs) but I laugh a lot and then uh so he won an emmy for he actually I think he won two emmys for his show mm-hmm. and he thanked his writers matthew mark luke and john there you get a little right. taste of his <laughs> on the drums of his humor <laughs> but yeah i have here that his dinner parties were often filled with religious men and comedians because he felt like those two aspects of life really re- like revealed the human experience and the human side and god and bringing those two together um there's a little there's a great article about his humor and the national catholic register and it shares this story. So I'm just going to share it from there. So it says, giving a lecture mm-hmm. in upstate New York, Sheen went into the town's barber shop for a haircut. The barber did not recognize me. And he said, are you going to that lecture tonight by Archbishop Sheen? And I said, yes. He said, do you have a ticket? <laughs> I said, no, I don't. He said, well, all the tickets have been sold. So you'll probably have to stand the whole talk. I said, you know, it's a peculiar thing that every time I go hear him speak, I always have to stand. <laughs> Because it's him doing the talk. Because right? <laughs> it's him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this oh, reminded me then in yeah. a totally secular way of a reel that I shared this week of a woman who was talking about the common trait that she's noticed in people who really love parenting, like really mm. enjoy the actual day-to-day experience of parenting. And she said that she's noticed that's usually people who can find something funny in anything, right? Who can find something to laugh at when life mm. gets hard. And I thought, oh my goodness, I couldn't agree more. I Humor has truly been the linchpin in my marriage <laughs> and uh, we have gone through a lot and I we Jason mm. and I always laugh we laugh our way through so many things mm. so anyways um St. Philip Neri he laughed when laughter was called for and he cried when tears were needed right and I think that after years of what seems like just more sadness and anger and suspicion and anxiety that I think more than we've experienced as kind of a collective whole in a very long time 
I think mm-hmm. maybe we need to be the first ones to lighten up, tell a joke, start the laughter. And I think others will follow. Yes. Yeah. And you bring a good point because always we want to know how we can bring like these things from um, an interior knowledge mm-hmm. into our real life. And I think about those times you're talking about like when things, when you're having bad days, just yeah. like everyone has bad days, down days. I had one like a couple of days ago and it was <laughs> just a bad mood a Paul, I guess, yes, settled Paul, over, yes. right? Um, and I just think I'm like, why is it so hard for me then to draw into that humor? I know yeah. mentally that it would help, but I don't want to. Like, I, yeah. you know what that feeling? Yeah. I'm like, but I don't want to bring lightness to this. And I think it's just that I want to hold on to that sullenness, yeah. the moodiness, the melancholy, the misery, weirdly. Like I I feel entitled to it. Yeah. I want pity, maybe. Um and you want to just simmer to in me, it. It feels yes, good sometimes. Yeah. It does. And just in this whole talk that we've been talking about, like Fulton Sheen and St. Philip Neri and humility of heart and everything like that, I think it's um because it's very me centric when I'm standing at that sink fuming and holding on to the fuming. Right. Right, right. And so it really does begin like you can tell jokes, people can tell jokes, but I think what we're getting at when we say lighten up is that it's truly a conversion of heart first Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. towards thinking of ourself less. (laughs) That's what we're, that's what we're going for. Oh, there's so much there that I want to say, because I think that will address again how St. Philip Neri, it wasn't just this false cheerfulness all the time, right? This um, yes. toxic positivity. It's not that. That's what I mean. He, yes. he felt the cheerfulness when it was called for, and he led the way in that, but he cried with the people that needed to cry. And so I think feeling our authentic emotions in those moments is fine. It's not stewing in it. It's trying to be mm. like, okay, I acknowledge that I'm feeling this right now. And when we model this for our children and for other adults, frankly. Um, We're doing such a good thing when we model that it's okay to feel what you're feeling. I say this all the time to my kids. I pull them onto my lap and I'm like, there is nothing wrong with feeling mad or frustrated or sad right now. And I will sit with you as you're feeling that. And then we're going to, then we're going to move on past it. So let's feel it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that when we try to not feel it, we actually get worse. Um, And then Mm. sometimes it, and this is where it helps to have a spouse of a complimentary nature, like that works well with yours. Um, So I can't tell you how many times Jason does that fake walking down the steps when there's no steps there (laughs) behind our island in our kitchen and suddenly he's gone and I can't do it I fall over where'd you go where'd you go he's gone and I crack up and so the that gift of humor that he gives me in those moments Mm. um is such a joy and yeah I can't always receive it right like I'll shoot back fire daggers out of my eyes sometimes but he tries and so it's remembering that it's it's good to try to lighten the mood but also to not just try to ignore what somebody that you're loving is feeling so sit with them and Mm -hmm. what they're feeling help within yourself learn to process those feelings and feel what you're feeling and then go, okay, I felt it because yeah, it is taking yourself far too seriously to make it all Mm -hmm. about you that day and stew in it. There's a difference between feeling it and stewing in it. And then there's that lesson you and I really latched onto a couple of years ago. That's worth repeating. And it's the let little things be little and let big Mm. things be big. 
When mm-hmm. I heard this blogger say that, I was like, whoa, this is a game changer. Because again, we're putting things into perspective and we're trying to look at things with God's eyes and little things are little and you can laugh at them and move on past it. Big things take a di- different processing process or processing process. Yeah. There's no other way to say that. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and so feel what you're feeling, but then, yeah, it is an act of the will, um, to go, I'm going to decide to move on past this right now and then find something funny and laugh at yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a great practice for a spiritual life. Okay. And one of the things that I think helps with this and this gift of perspective that I'm talking about is aging, is getting older. Um, mm. I think that you go one of two ways as you're getting older. You become a grumpy old man. And I'm saying that because there's that movie with grumpy old men. So you can become a grumpy old lady oh. too, but it's a whole <laughs> thing to be a grumpy it's old a thing. man. It's a thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you can become rigid and you can become grumpy or you can lighten up. As you're getting older, because you've been able to step back and look at your life and be like, you know what? Things have been rough, but they always seem to pan out, right? Like for the Mm -hmm. most part, you land on your feet. And this takes us into the number one thing that we think is a radical thing that you can do in 2024, which is becoming more flexible. Okay. So this one entered my mind after listening to an excellent, and I mean excellent there. Every episode is excellent on this podcast Mm -hmm. episode of the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. And this episode was called God has dreams for our life. It's just so applicable Mm. to everything we're talking about. Um, And in it, Monsignor Fred Dolan said something that really struck me. And he said that a lot of people become very rigid as they grow older, stuck in their ways. The whole, you can't teach an old dog new tricks thing. But he said, this is not the way of the Christian. The Christian is mm. to become more flexible, more open, more tender. He used the word that St. Jose Maria Escriva used, which was more fluid as they grow older and hopefully holier. Yeah, I, I remember listening to it. Um, you sent it to me. And I listened to it and then you sent it to me again a couple days ago. And so I listened to it again. I'm very obedient. Listen to this. Okay. You're very flexible. I'm very flexible. I'm like easygoing. Um, but I loved I loved that episode too. I really, the thing that jumped out at me from the podcast episode was when um, the priest was talking about Dietrich von Hildebrand. Yes who is a great Catholic philosopher and theologian and how he likened this whole growing, the potential to grow rigid as we get older to a petrification. Yes. Right. And not like in the scared way. Yeah. (laughs) He was quick to point out, but (laughs) um, like in the becoming rock way, like to become petrified. And he said the, the, Lynchpin. Yes. <laughs> the word we're using. Yep. Um, the linchpin to that is do you have or are you fostering a supernatural vision for life? Mm-hmm. Are you trying to look at your life the way God sees it? Because I think if you do, if you do practice that, then you're naturally going to be a bit more flexible or grow in flexibility because you realize that your will is not necessarily God's, right? but you're keen on God's will (laughs) happening, right? And so this priest was saying, you know, as we grow in our spiritual life, um, that we're going to get better at focusing on what really matters. If we have this supernatural vision active, the opposite of that is that we become petrified or we become like rocks and we become stony. But if we grow um, in the spiritual life, 
those accidental concerns, the complications that come up, they'll just kind of fade into the background, he says. And then the great decisive, this is a quote, I should say, quote, the great (laughs) decisive aspects of life become more clearly accentuated and a steady orientation towards the essential and decisive becomes dominant, Mm -hmm. end quote, in our life. To me, this says simplicity. Yeah. Like all those episodes we've talked about, what the current culture talks about in terms of the simple life. Yeah. To me, that's what it is, is having the most important things of God forefront in our minds yeah. and asking God to take the rest away. Yeah. Yeah. What I think is so interesting too with the culture, and this is where I got caught up, um, is this idea of petrification. To me, seem like a good thing. You become more solid like rock. You get more like it's this becoming more solid as you grow older. And I'm going to say this because this is something I found myself mistakenly championing in a way. There's this, this, this feeling among women in their mid forties that I am now in my mid forties. You know, we kind of pride ourselves on becoming our more authentic selves, more true Mm. to ourselves, more unapologetically rooted in our ways as, as we enter into our forties. And this is a really real thing. And, um, and in some ways there's a goodness to that and becoming kind of um, detached from what the world thinks of you. That really is a mm-hmm. gift that comes with age. And it's, this is especially true for women who I think are so dominated by what people think of us in our twenties and our thirties in a way that just doesn't affect men. Um, and so I'm like, yes, I'm in my forties now. Like I'm really rooted in who I am. And I thought of this as a good thing. And while there are good aspects to that, I see that that petrification becomes you are completely inflexible and unwilling to bend. And I could see that that could continue on into my late forties, into my fifties, into my sixties. And before I know it, right. It is a hardness of heart and, Mm. and thinking I'm finished growing. I'm finished changing. I become a complete person by my forties. And I think we, we kind of believe that, um, and that Mm -hmm. the culture says that, and this is not what God desires for us as we age. I see my, I see people, you know, in my life and that I love becoming more stubborn, less open to discussion, not willing to try new things as they grow older. And yeah, this, this is not what God wants for our hearts. I was thinking about this, that our hearts should grow softer alongside the softening of our bodies. <laughs> um, Ooh, right. And with the yeah. gift of time, we should grow more empathetic to those around us because we ourselves have suffered, right? The older you get, the more you've mm. endured. Um, yeah. And then thanks to perspective again, I want to do an entire episode on perspective. Perspective mm-hmm. is one of these things that just keeps popping up in my mind. Um, and I think that it's something I want to dig further into, but like, you know, thanks to perspective and, and again, knowing that we can survive things that we've gone through, through mm. 45 years, um, mm-hmm. things that we thought maybe would break us, but we can step back and be like, no, I, that actually made life better. Like I I learned a lot through that. That helps us trust God more as we grow, therefore becoming more flexible. Um, and, and we've seen how God has worked through our lives for good. So these are the things that when we reflect back on it properly in a properly ordered way, um, we, we should soften, we should become flexible. And I see that that's what he means there. So this hardening, I thought hardening was a sign of strength, right? I keep getting Mm. caught up on that. I, that's something that keeps, (laughs) keeps fooling me, fool me once, um, and throughout my life. But yeah, I'm realizing that again, softening is a sign of strength. (laughs) Yes. Well, I actually, I came across something yesterday 
in my reading that might help a little bit with perspective mm. on this whole thing about strength um, and versus softness or yeah. strength and softness because we're both and um, yeah. <laughs> faith. But I was reading, I want to throw it back to Fulton Sheen again. Mm. I was reading Fulton Sheen yesterday and he was talking about meekness and it was such a striking point to me. Now he was talking in terms of like when when is it that we're as Christians to be angry? Yeah. Um, and how does that tie into meekness or when are we supposed to be strong? And he was talking about how like when it comes to people, we're to um, for lack of better word, I'm paraphrasing, we're to let anything that comes from people kind of roll off our back. We're to turn mm. the other cheek mm. when it comes to another person, another soul um, that we're interacting with. On the other hand, we're to be strong and firm and unmoving, maybe, when it comes to principle. Yeah, That's yeah. when we stand up and we're strong and we say no. We're firm. This is where we are. We're, we'll not be moved. But meekness is knowing the difference. Right. That. So, yes, as we grow older, maybe that's the key too. we grow more in our understanding of what is uh, what we were saying, what is important and what isn't important, what is not essential. And we get better at telling the difference between when we have to stand up and plant our feet firmly and be strong and be more a little bit like a rock like it even says in the bible when jesus set his face like flint right towards yeah. jerusalem yeah um that was a principal thing <laughs> yeah right but he turned the other cheek whenever there were insults directed yeah. at him particularly yeah. at his in during his passion and crucifixion and things yeah. like that right when it was the people but the the important things, the eternal things, that's where we're strong. That's where we almost want to petrify in terms of our faith, um, being rooted to the principles of our of our faith and our love for God and what that means for us in our lives we grow stronger in. Um, but in everything else, we become softer because we realize that once those important things are solid, the rest truly is in the hands and the will of God. And mm. we can kind of let go a little bit and roll with the punches, yeah. <laughs> be flexible. Yeah. And that just reminded me too, that I was thinking about how, if I were to be firm with anyone, be firm with myself, like stick to my own, yes. right? Like be firm with mm -hmm. myself. You can, I can have a different standard for myself, but be flexible with everyone around me. And that's like kind of what you're saying too. Like our, our relationships with people um, is where we need to be flexible and soft. And I was thinking about this in terms of motherhood. And I have to say, so while I'm very um, petrified and inflexible <laughs> in a lot of exteriors in my life, um, I've mm. always been really flexible as a mom. And some of that was mm. out of necessity because of the nature of Jason's job and him being called out at crazy times. And I've, I've kind of, it's been kind of forced upon me because I had like, then what I'd break, mm -hmm. right? Like I would have broken under the weight of motherhood, which happens to a lot of women. Um, so flexibility within our vocation as mothers, I think is just as important as laughter. Mm -hmm. So I think that when I step back and I look at these three things in terms of my vocation, um, all three of them are just going to help me do so much better as a mom <laughs> and as a mm -hmm. wife, right? So asking for God for great things in, in my vocation and then laughing things off and becoming even more flexible as a mom. Um, this flexibility, yeah, I, when you think of it as like a reed blowing in the wind, right, it doesn't break. 
You want to bend so that you don't break ultimately, which it's you're always on the risk of being broken in this world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that reminds me of um, a quote by St. Jose Maria Escriva. uh, And that was his podcast. Not his podcast, but his institute's podcast. <laughs> yes, that we were getting so much of this source from. But um, he himself has said, "quote Sanctity is not rigid like cardboard. It knows how to smile, mm-hmm. to give way to others, and to hope. It is life, a supernatural life." End quote. And to me, that that sums up those three things too, right? And yeah. how it relates to us in our everyday calling and in our everyday lives is that we we can't be rigid like cardboard. We need to know how to be flexible and to bend. We, when you do that, it knows how to smile, yeah. lighten up, right? Yeah. Give to others, hope, smile, lighten up. And if that seems insurmountable, then ask God for the big things. Yeah. Ask God to not only help me to get through this day, just get me through another day. Let's ask God to make us into a force, a force of his will, of his joy, of his cheerfulness for ourselves, for our families, and for the world. Let us ask him for the big things and those three things going into 2024. Like, what a great resolution to have. And I just want to point out one thing about St. Jose Maria Escriva, if, if you guys aren't familiar with who he is. Um, he was a priest during the Spanish Civil War where they were hunting down and killing priests, like mm-hmm. shooting them dead in the streets. And he is the most joyful little dude ever. Like if you ever watch mm-hmm. him speaking and he <laughs> yes. speaks in Spanish, right? Um, and there's subtitles at the bottom, but you can actually turn like the subtitles off. And, and if you don't speak Spanish, you just see this man glowing on the screen mm-hmm. with such joy and He's a man who endured so much watching his fellow brother priests um, be killed and murdered in front of him. His own life threatened. They would have to hide him. And he would say, don't hide me. And the way he took care of the people who lived with him, just an absolute shining beacon of flexibility and joy and and laughter and humility. What an absolute saint for our times. Now, Mm -hmm. I... I kept writing the word radical in my notes in all caps because I felt like it's sardonic to use that word. And sardonic (laughs) means disdainfully or skeptically humorous. What a great word. (laughs) Radical. Like, what? On the surface, these things aren't radical. But that's because we have been force-fed this idea that making radical changes in your life involves leaving your husband and heading to Rome and finding the perfect pizza and then ending up in Bali. If anyone's catching that eat, pray, love (laughs) reference there. (laughs) I Um, did. (laughs) Right? But really think about it. These things are radical, especially in the world that we inhabit today. We are asking you and pushing ourselves to pray daily, asking God for a better life for ourselves and having the faith to believe that that prayer will be answered by our loving God. We are asking ourselves to laugh more and to not take everything so darn seriously. We are asking ourselves to not dig our feet so far into the sand that we become so entrenched that we aren't able to be moved by the Holy Spirit and by the hearts of our brothers and sisters. Have faith laugh more and be flexible. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? We think that these things can be life-changing, relationship-enhancing, healing, and inspirational to others. In other words, radical.
Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So, Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? You know, I love lists. My, like, read all the Mm. classics list, my best record albums of all time list, my best movies of all time list. Well, I've been working my way through movies as I was forced to rest in January due to my dental surgery and then COVID. So movies it is. Um, I finally watched something that I've been wanting to watch for a long time, and it is the movie In the Heat of the Night from 1967, Mm. and it stars Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger. Do you know this movie? No, I've heard about it, though, but I don't know much about it. And you might be familiar because they did a TV show from 1988, I believe, to 95. Um, That was really popular. Um, And so it was maybe it's more familiar to us from the TV show. Um, Mm. So my goodness, what a movie. Um, I will say that it opens with a scene that has a nearly naked woman, but it is brief and it's the only really inappropriate part in the whole film. So it does set the tone all of a sudden. You're like, oh, whoa, but it's it's, just get past that. Um, The film has a nice... 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and was nominated for seven Academy Awards and it won five Mm. of them, including Best Actor for Rod Steiger and Best Picture. So I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but it takes place in the Deep South just after the Jim Crow laws for racial segregation were ended. But lots of deep prejudices remained. Um, So Sidney Mm. Poitier, I think everyone knows who he is, but he's a black man. And in the film, he's wrongly arrested at the beginning of the film. And everyone at the police station is stunned when they find out that he's actually the best homicide detective uh, from Philadelphia, Mm. who just happened to be visiting his mother in Mississippi. So the small town police chief played by Rod Steiger, who is now one of my all time favorite characters, um, has a murder to solve and they end up needing the help of Poitier, who is not welcome by anyone in that Mm. town. It is tense. It has moments that are really hard to watch, but it takes you into the minds and hearts of people in the late 1960s in the South. There's brilliant acting, great cinematography. It's well-directed by Canadian filmmaker Norman Jewison, who just died last month. So Mm. watch it in honor of him. Uh, And there is a scene in there. Okay, there's two scenes in there um, that you've got to Google it after because I don't want to spoil it, but like there's some, okay. there's a scene that Sidney Poitier agreed to do the movie. If he's like it, the scene cannot be taken out. Even when it's shown in the South, you must keep it in there. And then he mm-hmm. and Rod, who are good friends, longtime friends, and had always wanted to work together. They would sneak into movie theaters to watch it and they would hide and they would see people's reactions. Oh, and the, there's a line in it where he says, they call me Mr. Or, yeah, Mr. Tibbs. They oh, call me Mr. Tibbs. Yes. Okay, I know that. I know that quote. Yes. That quote <laughs> has been registered as one of the most important lines ever said that is like in this American <gasps> Journal of History. So anyways, I, I clearly wow. can't recommend it enough. So in the heat of the night, I believe it's available for free on the Tubi, T-U-B-I uh, TV mm. channel. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah, <laughs> you really could not sell that any, <laughs> any better. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really going to have to check it out. I'm a big fan of Sidney Poitier oh. as an actor, but I haven't oh. seen this movie, so I'll have to add it to my repertoire. There is a part two and part three. Uh, part two is actually mm. called They Call Me Mr. Tibbs. Um, not as good. Mm. And also opens with a naked woman. I guess I don't know okay. if that's the theme of them. Um, and I have not seen number three. I might not. But yeah, it's it's fantastic. So, so what have you okay. been loving this week, Michelle? Okay, well, I I was trying to think of what I've been loving because once again, I find myself in the middle of long things that mm. are taking me a long time to get um, through. So this was something actually that you were loving a couple of years ago, Lindsay, mm-hmm. and I we were talking about it yesterday, but 
right now, Phil and I are really loving watching the Parisian Agency oh, yes, again yes. on Netflix. L'Agence, L'agence as we call it, yeah. right? The Agency. Um, and I'm so glad you recommended it back then because it was then and is now the perfect light winding down show. Yeah. You know, you just have evenings where you don't want to get into anything too heavy. Um, so this show is great for that. Um, if you miss Lindsay's recommendation from a couple of years ago, The Parisian Agency is a French reality show revolving around the Kretz family. So they have dad, Olivier, mom, Sandrine, and their four sons, their four grown sons, mm-hmm. Martin, Valentin, Valentin, <laughs> Louis, and Raphael, mm-hmm. along with their grandmother, fondly known as Majo. <laughs> Uh, The parents started a luxury real estate agency in France, and one by one, their sons have been joining the family business. This new season, their youngest has finally joined the family business. They were hoping he would, but, you know, they weren't going to force him to. So now they're all so excited. He decided on his own to join them. And the show follows them in their work. They appraise the most incredible properties and they show them to their clients. They take us along for the ride. And the show just released its third season on Netflix a little while ago. So that's what we've been enjoying these long winter nights and living vicariously through this family as they tour fascinating houses in France and now beyond. Um, But as always, and I know you said this too, Lindsay, when you first recommended it, I think it's the relationship, though, between the brothers and between them and their parents and their grandmother that really remain the highlight. Like it's it really is their camaraderie uh, and very apparent love for one another that makes us really like root for them. Like we want them to be successful in life and in work. It's just it's hard not to love them and to that therefore love the show. So if you haven't checked out L'Agence yet on Lindsay's previous recommendation, go and check it out now on mine too <laughs> and enjoy three whole seasons of this wonderful family and their life within L'Agence. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time. Thank you.